you want to turn to the third chapter of Colossians, I'm just going to camp there this morning and talk with you about that passage. So I'm going to be doing it without the aid of PowerPoint this morning because we are more or less just going to stay with this passage that begins with an if, if you then be risen with Christ. And so before we begin to talk about the third chapter of Colossians, let me go back and read just a little bit from the second chapter beginning in verse 10 because the if that begins the third chapter of Colossians really continues the thought that begins at verse 10. Now, the book of Colossians is actually a quite uh, sophisticated theological argument against Gnosticism and against people who come along and say, we've got new ideas and, and new things that you need to know if you're really going to be a full-fledged Christian. And it, and it has many important arguments about the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't need anything else except Jesus Christ. But in the midst of that, he offers some, some quite practical observations. That beginning in verse 10, as he kind of concludes that argument about the all-sufficiency of Christ, he says, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And so I have called this sermon through the years the complete Christian. That is, it is instructions that tell us all that we need to know about going to heaven. You got any problems this morning? If you have any problems or any difficulties, you got any challenges in your life? I'm going to give you the answer to every problem that you have. I'd like to come and just have one lesson to talk to you and not go away telling you that I have got the answer to every question that you have and every problem that you have in your life. That's what he says in verse 10, that we can be complete in him, in whom also you've been circumcised with the circumcision not made without hands, in putting on the body of the, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye risen with him through the faith and the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now he says, I, I will tell you who you are when you become a Christian. You are someone who has been set aside. You've been marred as the Jews were marked as Jews by being circumcised, he says, when, when you become a Christian, you are a person that has been set aside and marked. And that's really where chapter 3 begins then, with this risen with Christ. And he says, when that happens is, when you are buried with the Lord in baptism. He said, that sets you apart. And so, if you are in our audience this morning, and you never have been buried with the Lord in baptism, and I don't want us to begin our look at the third chapter of Colossians without pointing out to you that all of that begins 
our completeness in Christ begins by our being buried with Christ in baptism. And so then chapter 3 begins. If ye then be risen with Christ. And in those first four verses, what he does is tell us two legs that we all stand on if we are Christians and if we want to be complete in him. Then he says, you, you will understand that, that two things have happened to you. That if you've been risen with Christ, and the first, not in order as he mentions them here, but the first of the two that I that I'll talk about this morning, and if we I believe if we can get these two points straight in our lives, that what we will have is we'll have the answer to every problem that we confront. In verses three and four he says, If you understand the completeness that we have in Christ, then you are dead. And Christ lives in you. That is, you, you are a changed person. Do you know who you are? That's really, that's an important question. And you might superficially say, well, yeah, I know who, you, who I am, but, but what I always suggest to you is uh, all of us have a kind of a self-identity. All of us have some idea and some image of who we are. I have traveled an awful lot in my life and sat around airports. And I'll tell you one thing I have discovered, one of the most entertaining things you can do is to just sit and watch people go by. You will see a lot of interesting things. I mean, here some fellow come walking by and he's got on a 10-gallon hat and cowboy boots and he thinks he's John Wayne. And some... Somebody else will come walking by and he's got his golf shirt on and everything and he thinks he's Jack Nicholas. And that might be me. And then you'll see some fella come walking by and he'll have stuff stuck everywhere and hanging everywhere. You say, well, who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's someone. That's why he looks like that. And that's why we all, that's why all of us look like we do. And act like we do. Because we have an image of who we are. And what Colossians, the third chapter begins is by saying, if you've really been risen with Christ, then you have figured out who you are. That I am Christ. And that's the definition of my character. I heard my youngest daughter one time talking to some of her friends in another room when she was a teenager, and she's a pretty feisty young lady. But uh, she said to her friends, she said, well, she said, my daddy just always is lecturing me and telling me what I ought to do. And he said, but every time I go out, he says, he'll tell me when I leave, you remember who you are. But she said, I always know it doesn't mean remember you're a herald, but remember you're a Christian. Now that's a transformation. And it's a character transformation. 
that when we're baptized and risen into Christ, we become Christ. Well, all right, quickly, if I want to read this chapter with you quickly and show you how it solves all problems. But the second thing he says in verses 1 and 2, is he says if you're risen with Christ, <clears throat> then seek those things that are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I think the second thing that will determine how you live your life. One, it will be who you think you are. And the second will be where you're, going, where you're trying to go. Do you know where you're going? You know, I, I've never been a big goal setter in my life. I've always thought I'd just try to do the best I can in what I'm doing. But we do all set goals for things that we want to accomplish. I'll tell you something that really made me conscious of that years ago, probably 25, 30 years ago, when hotels and airlines first began to give out points to travelers and they'd give you free things. I, I got this letter from Holiday Inn that said, if you stay in Holiday Inn, we'll give you a point every time you stay in Holiday Inn, and if you stay enough times, if you stay 75 nights, I believe it was, we'll send two people free anywhere in the world and put you up for a week in a Holiday Inn. Well, I ran and got my book, Holiday Inn book, and looked and found me a Holiday Inn in Scotland, and since I like to go there better than any place, I said, well, I believe I'll just do that. And then I read the fine print and discovered, of course, no ordinary human being could do it. But uh, I thought, well, I'm going I'm to set up and try to do that. So every time I'd go anywhere, if I went somewhere to preach, I would insist on staying in a holiday inn. And if there wasn't a holiday inn in that town, I'd stay 25 miles away in a holiday inn. And one time, then one summer, they said, well, if two people stay, we'll give you two points. So every time I went somewhere, I made one of the kids go with me. And uh, there were a few times I couldn't get anybody to go with me, and I actually got somebody there to come stay with me. <laughs> and I ended up spending the night with some people I didn't like very well. But, but i tell you what I did. I got those points. And we went to Scotland. But I will tell you something. Scotland's not where I want to go. I mean, I, I love it. It's wonderful. But that's not where I want to go. Where I want to go is heaven. And if you really know where you want to go, and if you're here this morning and you understand that I'm, I'm a different person, I'm a Christian, and I'm living my life because... I want to go to heaven. That will have an influence on your life. Now, I want you to just quickly read through with me this chapter. Verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them, 
But now you put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, saying that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created. I will tell you what Christians do. Christians behave themselves. Christians don't live filthy lives. Now he says, some of you, you used to do that. I know you used to be liars and fornicators and drunkards and lived like everybody out here in the world lived, but you no longer do that. He said, Christians don't do that. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, by the way, I will challenge you to get to know these people here. And you will notice that they are different people. And that they are not caught up in all of the sins that are just so prolific and everywhere in the world. So you watch them. Gotta put it on you guys. But that's exactly what he says. He says you, you used to live like that, but you don't do it anymore. Now, that is a big conquest, if we can understand that. Now, you know, in my life, a long life of preaching, I have preached a lot of lessons in my life telling people they ought to behave themselves. And uh, I will tell you this morning, that I, that's not what this sermon is. I'm not going to tell you this morning that you have to behave yourself. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I have given a lot of thought to this. You know, all my life I've taught in universities and have worshipped in churches that were just full of young people. And so I've given a lot of thought to, well, how can we get these young people to behave themselves? And I thought a time or two, I thought of some pretty good ideas. I thought one time what we need to do is we need to build two concentration camps, one for boys and one for girls. But, yeah, well, I have to tell you that I discovered that won't work. They'll figure out some way to crawl out of there. So... The question remains, well, how can we get these young people to behave? My wife and I, we, we had five children, and so I gave a lot of thought to that. Three daughters. And every time one of those girls would get to be about 16, I would think, well, now what am I going to do with this girl? I know in another eight or ten years she'll want to go out with boys. And... <coughs> The time will probably even come when she wants to go without me riding in the back seat. And so what is she going to do? Want me to tell you what she's going to do? She's going to do exactly what she wants to do. And there is not but one way that anybody ever behaves themselves and that is if you know who you are and you know where you're going. And you do it because you want to do it. As I said, I preach a lot of sermons to people telling, telling them they ought to behave themselves. They didn't want to behave themselves. 
I've preached sermons in my life that were designed to make people come to church who didn't want to come to church. And to make people study the Bible who didn't want to study the Bible. You can't do that. There's not but one way that people will do what they ought to do and be what they ought to be, and that is if they know who they are. And if, they, if they've got their sights set on where they're going. But not quickly, let's read on. Beginning in verse 11. Where there's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all, and in all. Put on, therefore, the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of man, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called, in one body, and be you thankful. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go quickly over that passage. It is a passage, though, that that gives us wonderful directions about how we can be productive Christians together. We're neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile nor bond nor free, but everybody doing their work. And you're about to get in embark on a on a new phase of the work of this church. I will tell you how you can really have a productive church work. I got a plan. And the plan the plan, however, is not that I got some kind of program that I recommend to you. There are a lot of different kind of programs you can have. But I'll tell you what makes a good working is a church full of people who know that they're Christians and who are trying to go to heaven. I've had a lot of people walk out and tell me, Brother Harold, I'm just getting so discouraged and I just don't know what I'm going to do because I've tried and I've done this and I've done that and nobody even says thank you and nobody seems to care about it. And I'll tell you the answer to that. Well, now, if that's why you're doing it, then if I was you, I'd just quit doing But I will tell you what we all do. I give of myself. I, I do the things that I do because that's who I am. And because I'm trying to go to heaven. And I don't think what everybody in this congregation needs to be is resolved. And I know who I am. I know what I want to do with my life. I know why I'm doing it. Because I want to go to heaven. And if you do, you'll have a body that's not contentious and fractious. And it's not selfish and argumentative. But it says, I'm going to do everything that I can because I'm the Lord. And I want to try to lay up treasures in heaven because that's where my sights are set. Now quickly, i got two other points I want to make quickly. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you, 
richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You want to make you worship everything that it ought to be? Do you know, I have, don't know how many times in my life I have gone to some group and some young people will come up to me and say, Brother Harold, this old church is just so dead. It's the same old people, you know, that sit in those same old seats and sing those same old songs and say those same old prayers. And it's just traditional and doesn't mean anything. And I confess, every time somebody tells me that, I think, well, you know, I believe I have been to that place myself. I have preached in some congregations where by the time I've been talking for about ten minutes, I felt like waving my hands to see if anything was alive. And so, a church can be dead, all right. And worship can be dead and meaningless. And if, if, if that's the case, well, how, how do we solve that? And sometimes, I've had someone say to me, well, you know what we need to do is we need to, we need to turn the lights down low and have some candles and maybe sit around in a circle. Well, I if you go, if you go to India with me, you will sit in a lot of different places in good light and bad light. But I'll tell you this. If you got a bunch of dead Christians and you set them around in a circle and turn the lights down low, you'll have a bunch of dead Christians that can't see each other very well. <laughs> that won't that won't solve the problem of making our worship what it ought to be. I say when your worship will be what it ought to be is when you are what you ought to be. When you know who you are. And you know why you're doing it. Tell you one quick story. My my father, I was raised in Jacksonville, Florida, and my father was a physician. And he was a great Christian man, converted a lot of people. And the congregation where I am now, I'm an elder, <clears throat> my dad had converted many of those people. But anyhow, when he got old, he was hard to hear, and he'd sit right on his front seat here. And the preacher, Harold Daddy, would kind of stand right in front of my daddy so daddy could hear. And daddy was kind of cantankerous. Actually, he'd always been kind of cantankerous. But uh, he sat there and he'd put his hand behind his ear and listen to Harold. And several times, <clears throat> they forgot to tell a visiting preacher about my daddy. And about the time he'd get started preaching, back up in the pulpit, my daddy would wave and point and become standing out in front of him. And it kind of embarrassed me, but it didn't embarrass those people. Because they loved him and appreciated all that he had done for them. And I often thought that my dad got paid back at the end of his life for a lot that he had done for other people. <laughs> but when he died, uh, at the graveside, one of the deacons in that congregation came up to me. He was a lawyer in Jacksonville. And he said, Andy said, I want to tell you about your daddy. He said, your daddy 
did a lot of things for me. But he said nothing that he ever taught me meant more to me than just watching him come up to that front seat and struggle to get there and sing those songs. Now, I will tell you how to sing with grace in your hearts. You live a life of service. And get your sights set on going to heaven. And then struggle up. And say, well, this may be the last time I get to sing this. Then you sing it with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You want to have a meaningful worship service? Then get with it yourself. Figure out who you are. Cut the terms with where you're going. Okay, let's finish this chapter. Now. Verse 17. And whatsoever you do, and whether it be, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as you just fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with our services, men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, folks, I'm going to tell you that here's the answer every problem. You figure out who you are and where you're going, it, it'll make good husbands out of you, and it'll make good wives out of you, and it'll make good parents out of you, and it'll make good children out of you. And it'll make good citizens out of you, and it'll make good employers out of you, and it'll make good employees out of you. And whatever you do, you do it because of who you are. Wise, I will tell you what you need to do. You need to submit yourself to your own husband. You know why you should do that? You should do that because your husband is always right. Well, maybe that is not why. You know why you do that? Because it is right. You do it because that's who you are. And because you're bound and determined that you're going to do what God would have you to do, to go to heaven. Husbands, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to love your wife. I, I will tell you something. If you preach very long, I'll tell you something to happen to you. Some young man will come up to you and say, 
<clears throat> oh, Brother Harold, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't love my wife anymore. Now, I tell you, I struggled for a number of years before I knew how to answer that. But I know the answer to that now. If some man comes up to me and says, well, I just don't love my wife anymore, I would say, well, you need to repent and do it. You want to read a commandment? That's not a suggestion, husbands love your wives. That's a commandment. And I, you love your wife, not because she's pretty, I mean, that's fine, that, that, that helps. <laughs> or because she takes care of you and cooks good and all of that. Well, I do it. I do it because that's who I am. And in everything that we do in life, that's the end. Life is not that complicated. I've been accused of oversimplifying things. And there are things I'm not very good at. I've never been very good at visiting sick people in the hospital because I never was sick. And I've never known really what my wife thought better. You know, when I go, I usually I'll just kind of stumble around and say, "Well, I hope you don't die." And uh, <laughs> and uh, they're glad to see me leave. But <laughs> and I've often thought, "Well, I'm probably not a real good counselor because if somebody comes to me and says, "Well," Oh, hell, I'm doing this, and, and I've just got this happening, and I keep doing it, and I know I shouldn't be doing it. I'll try to kind of give some advice and counseling, but I'll end up saying, well, if I do, then I just quit. Because that is the answer. If you're doing something you ought not to be doing, quit it. I say, oh, well, I want to do it. But then change your mind and be risen with Christ. So that what you want is you want to be Christ. And what you really want is you want to go to heaven. Now, that, that changes how you behave. I told you when I began about <coughs> the sacrifices that we make for things that, uh, that we really want. I was traveling with my family years ago, and well, we spent one whole summer out in the West, and I, I would preach a week in California, and then I'd, we'd vacation a week. And my youngest son, Robert, and I'd play golf. Then I'd preach, and we spent the whole summer, and it was just a glorious time. And I thought, boy, I, I sure have enjoyed this. And I hope I get to live another few years, and I have, and I'm thankful for that, so that I can spend it with these folks that I love. But then I thought, you know, I tell you what I really hope. I hope we all behave ourselves. Go to heaven where we can live forever. Now, if you think you could tempt me with something that would make me give that up. You're just mistaken. I mean, I, I might forget it sometimes and do something I ought not to do. 
And we do what we ought to do because we figured out who we are and where it is that we're going. 